1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Welcome back folks. You heard me say earlier that November ain't there no more. And today's December 1st. And we know that we're embarking on the holiday season because celebration in the oaks is starting and that's the telltale sign of a lot of different things that go on in this city. And here to talk to us about it is Chris Maitrey, the City Park Conservancy Chief Operations Officer. Chris, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, Newell, thanks for having me this morning.
2: It is my pleasure. Love what y'all do out there with Christmas in the Oaks. Uh, Tell us about uh, what we can expect this year.
3: Well, sure. You know, first off, Celebration of the Oaks has been the longest running uh, you know, celebration of the Christmas and the holiday and the winter season. Yeah, it started got a history from 1980s in city park, you know, initially started in our botanical garden and is now today encompassing a walking tour of the botanical garden Storyland, um, basically free access, uh, with admission to our amusement park. And then also we have the longest, one of the longest in the country, uh, driving tour. So for this year, some of our highlights along the 2.25 mile driving tour a lot of enhanced displays we invested a lot of additional money in enhancing the driving tour and the walking tour this year And we're proud to have folks come back and visit us again for i think it's 30th or 40th year in the park
2: and i understand the return of the animated 12 yats christmas will be
3: back again this year Yeah, certainly that's uh, for native New Orleanians or those folks that have been here a while. You can't go anywhere without hearing about the 12 Yats, and it uh, has made its return to our walking tour.
2: Absolutely. Um, Also, y'all have uh, created a number of Instagrammable moments throughout the footprint. I remember um, seeing some last year. There will be more of those this year.
3: Yeah, we uh, we really did take a little bit of concentrated effort to improve and add some additional moments where you know people come to the walking tour and they want to take pictures. Family pictures often make those holiday postcards, and certainly we wanted to create those moments. We experimented with one last year, and we have actually added about three or four more for this year. Whether it's a picture frame backdrop that they'll find in the walking tour, uh, certainly the ornaments back. We've had some additional exhibitry added in the walking tour and you know folks really like to broadcast that out and then of course they're tagging city park in that so it's great for us to see those make holiday cards we often get a lot back uh, from our visitors that share their moments and their experiences and we really think celebration of the oaks is one of the premier christmas events in the country and our native new orleanians and new orleanians and visitors alike get to experience those moments in one of the best parks in the urban landscape city park
2: Chris, I got to tell you, it felt like y'all had more than one location, uh, or unless <laughs> I had I had every friend that I know went went to the park on the same night because I remember my phone blowing up one night with the, with the Instagrammable moments there.
3: Yeah, it's really become a, a very big trend, you know, and certainly folks like to be in the pictures and share those across all those moments. We, you know, we do have over forty exhibits in the walking tour, and we have over another forty or so exhibits in the driving tour and our staff works year round on putting those exhibits together. And believe it or not, Newell, a lot of those exhibits are actually made by our own team of Santa's helpers or, or else. And uh, they really do do a marvelous job creating unique designs and u- unique displays.
2: So there's a 2.25 mile driving tour that we've been talking about. Are there any Differences in the way that you enter, exit, or is that the same as last year? Or if you would describe it for our listening audience?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, our driving tour. Uh, first off, we have a couple of different uh, nights. You know, we do have our 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 value nights where folks can come in on Wednesdays and Thursdays. on uh, that driving tour is twenty-five dollars. We even have three nights where we offer bike nights only. No driving. No cars allowed. Those are on Tuesday, so $5 a person, you can experience that driving tour. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we have a m- moments where we have an express queue line as well if you want to spend a little bit extra money. And, and the lines aren't long, but, you know, some people are impatient. But whatever you do, the, the walking tour, we're asking folks, due to a number of road closures, to enter from Wisner and Leelong. Uh, and then for the driving tour that really starts for the general mission. Valley Nights and the folks for the entering the driving tour is going to be Wisner and Friedrichs. Um, and then there's a separate entrance for the what we call the quick queue or the fast pass, or in our words, a dasher pass uh, for those folks that are, are interested in that. But really, there are three roads in, uh, one dedicated for walking, and we've got robust signage up, and we've got certainly uh, folks along the pathways to help you. Navigate those spaces, but there are a number of road closures that will impact what roads people can. But if people come to the Wisner side of City Park or the east side, they'll be able to find their entrances much easier.
2: Now, tonight is the first night, is that correct?
3: No, we actually opened back on November 30th. We were open for Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. uh, Thanks. And and we had a great, great couple, a great first weekend. Uh, we unfortunately, you know, like any event, outdoor event like this, we were impacted by rain. So certainly last night uh, we had, uh, we, we did have to close, but we're expecting and we're hoping that the, our, our weather meteorologist, local meteorologists can help us, uh, you know, put some juju on it, make sure we get some good weather tonight and this weekend. But we're open from now until Christmas. Uh, we have our calendars up at celebrationoftheoaks.com and we really would like to see everybody come visit us.
2: So folks can go to celebrationintheoaks.com dot com to to buy their tickets, download that um, um, the 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 pass. I know you have electronic readers and all that stuff. Um, yep, yeah, the
3: QR code is taken QR over. QR code. Lot Thank stuff. you. I had a senior <laughs> had a senior
2: moment. <laughs> I know what it is. <laughs> no worries. I'm getting there
3: myself, so I understand. <laughs>
2: So the QR code, I thought that worked uh, masterfully. That was that was wonderful. So, what are the hours of operation, Chris?
3: Sure. Really, for ev- every night except for Fridays and Saturdays, we open from six to ten. Uh, Fridays and Saturdays were a little elongated there, just because people are you know getting off work. They have all day Friday and Saturday, but uh, it becomes about five PM to so about eleven. But again, our hours can fluctuate a little bit. So I would just encourage everyone to go to com to make sure they know and take full value of the nights that they're coming uh, and they can plan their visit because oftentimes people are coming with extended family and we want everybody to have a good time and make sure they get their value out of the driving tour and the walking tour.
2: So let's talk about the financial implications and why this is important to the park. Uh, the park is a state agency, if I remember correctly, right? You are
3: correct. Yes, sir.
2: And not a lot of funding
3: provided by the state, correct? Uh, n- not enough there's there's some certainly, but a bulk of our revenue comes from earned uh, uh you know businesses like this for us where we have to generate the revenue to take care of the park. I mean where people don't realize how big city park is, but we're thirteen hundred acres
2: one of the largest the- in the country, right?
3: Yeah, yes, sir. We're in the top ten for sure, and you know it takes takes a little bit of, of revenue to offset some of the expenses. And but really, this is the largest moment for us to be able to interact with New Orleanians, regional air folks come visit our park, and we even see international uh, zip codes. And so it's really an opportunity for us to showcase City Park and have you know folks come back and and you know, hopefully spend quality time with us and for us, and then take. Um, some of that, and we invest it in the park and take care of this beautiful gym that we have here in in Orleans Parish in South Louisiana.
2: So the point is this uh, to the listening audience. If you want to give back, this is a great way of giving back to the park and ensuring the success of the future of the park, because about 10% of their annual budget relies on this event. Uh, Obviously, I think historically, y'all had 135,000 visitors. We want more. Uh, Because it's important to the operating revenue of the park, and this is, you get something in return. You know, this is better than a regular donation, quite frankly. You pay, and they're giving you something in return. And it's a great way to make sure that you're part of the vibrancy of City Park, Um, and it's a gem, right? Right.
3: It really is, and we really feel, and you, I couldn't have said it better than myself and what you echo, Noel, but, you know, the memories made and the opportunities for folks to have a great time in City Park, you know, last, you know, our legacies, right, in terms of they last a while. They're on postcards, as we talked about earlier, but people take those memories away, and they, they remember coming to City Park and what a great time they had. And, and, again, it's important for us to be able to have those moments and be able to offer that to the general public that comes and visits us so yeah city park needs new orleanians needs visitors uh and this is one of, one of the best ways we can actually showcase this park and all of our efforts to care for it
2: every year i roast the marshmallows with my granddaughter i drink the hot chocolate i ride the train uh it's a great time it's a great outing your kids will ask about it when they hear that it's now open about going back, uh, which is a good thing, and it, it's a great time. Yeah, I, I've even been there in in, in a light rain, and, and and it worked. It was okay. It was fine. You wear you wear a rain jacket. It's no big deal. Still, still roasted the marshmallows. That's right. <laughs> and still made still made the s'mores. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, like
3: it's a good we were still able to do we, it. We, we, yeah, we're a resilient bunch, aren't we? Uh, in terms yeah, of a little absolutely. bit of rain, not going to not going to hurt it for sure.
2: Now, nah, and and that and that train just keeps chugging along.
3: <laughs> well, you really, you what you really appreciate if you make that rain uh, that that train visit with your 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 kids or your grandkids or whatever this year is. We you know many people are aware of City Park and our live oak trees. We actually have highlighted about forty of those oak trees on the train round and the driving tour. And we're illuminating them and really showcasing those historic majestic oaks that have been around for, you know, decades and three hundred years and some of them are dated back that old, but they're really beautifully illuminated. And it's gonna be a real treat on that train ride for folks that have been on it the last couple of years to see what we've taken some steps to improve. So I really want folks to come out to that train ride, go take part in our walking tour and visit us in our storyland, as many people know is great for kids. Young at heart are those very young, and then certainly our botanical gardens. We're really showcasing all of our all of our best assets in this year's 2023 celebration of the oaks. All
2: right, so let's regroup real quick. Bike nights are on Tuesday, five dollars yes, admission. Five. Right. Yep. Driving tour value nights are Wednesday and Thursday, and Thursday that's twenty five dollars a car. Right. Yes, sir. Any other
3: nights are how much? $40 for the driving tour and then $35 for the walking tour. There's two distinct different experiences. Certainly the driving tour, as you mentioned, the 2.5-mile, 2.25-mile trek, um, you know, for a single, however many folks you can pile in a car, right, it's going to be either $25 or $40 depending on the night you come. And then the walking tour, which encompasses the amusement park, Storyland, and the botanical garden is only uh, thirty-five dollars per person.
2: Right, all the rides are open. They, you get the marshmallow, you get all kinds of stuff. The train, all of that. Uh, it, it's it's a great event. It, it's really for the money. It's it's it, you get a lot in value for what you're spending there. I, I, I can promise you. I've done it. Let's see, Grand Auto B ten. I don't know how many years, but it mm-hmm. it, it, it it's a great time. So we want to beat the 135,000 visitors. That's the challenge that we want to issue today. We need to make sure that we get out there so that we can create some more dollars to create some more improvement out there at City Park and continue to maintain the beauty uh, of that park each and every day. Did I miss anything, Chris?
3: No. I hope to see everybody come, take the train ride, come on the Ladybug. You know, if folks haven't—that was most folks, I think, first roller coaster experience. Ladybug still Mm up and operating, and. Look forward to having everybody come visit City Park.
2: I'll do any ride out there, but those spinning saucers <laughs> will not. You couldn't pay me four grand to get on <laughs> spinning saucers. Well, we could slow it down for you, Newell, if that helps. Yeah, you. It would have to be a, a, like a crawl. We'll <laughs> <laughs> see what we can do. Absolutely. Chris Maytree, City Park Conservancy Chief Operations Officer, thank you so much for joining us, uh, sharing all of this incredible information about Christmas celebration in the Oaks. I'm sorry. Um, Have a a great, you know, uh, season out there, and we wish you all the best. Thanks for having us on. I appreciate it. All righty. That's Chris Maytree, City Park Conservancy Chief Operations Officer. Get out there, folks, and join the celebration in the oaks go to celebrations in the celebration in the we'll be right back
0: okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road any road the steeper the better
2: So yesterday, we were involved in a conversation about truancy. And um, we had an educator, retired educator from Mississippi, call in Kelly Schwartz, and she's going to join us in a moment, uh, that wanted to talk about uh, truancy, literacy, uh, and things of that nature and the importance of same. I'm a big believer in having a truancy program of being very intrusive, and making sure that our kids are actually going to school because of the following a first-grader with nine or more absences is two times more likely to drop out of high school about eighty two percent of prisoners are high school dropouts seventy percent of all incarcerated adults cannot read at a fourth grade level attendance is a bigger predictor of high school graduation than our test scores truancy is the single most powerful predictor of juvenile delinquent behavior children who are chronically absent have a three and a half times higher likelihood yes of being arrested children who are truant are more likely to become involved in crime either as a victim or a perpetrator children who are chronically absent are more likely to use cigarettes marijuana alcohol and other drugs children who were chronically absent grow into adults who are more likely to smoke have a shorter life expectancy and have poor health need I say anything more and the list goes on and on and none of the outcomes are pretty. So you ask yourself, why are we not having more robust conversations about truancy? Kelly Schwartz, retired educator from Mississippi, joins us. Kelly, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you for having me.
2: Kelly, I'm so glad that we were able to accommodate you today. I know you called in. You wanted to talk yesterday. And I said to to Coleman on the board, I said, Ask Kelly if she'll just join us tomorrow. I want to have this discussion. So, Kelly, uh, your experience as an educator in, in you know, as it relates to literacy, truancy, and alike.
5: My experience goes back to 1988. I actually began in the trenches changing diapers and taking care of toileting needs for children who couldn't. I then became an assistant assistant. I then went back and got my degree to be a teacher. I then became an administrator for the district. So I've seen this pattern of truancy from the time my children were little in school. And I truly believe that truancy has almost become an acceptable social dilemma, and it's going to take a huge paradigm shift to make change. It's going to take a concerted effort by school officials mental health specialists, the court system training for parents, because that is where it starts. It is, you know, I heard um, yesterday about tracking it, about Raffi and as you saying schools need to do a better job of tracking it. When I was reading up on the New Orleans truancy problem, I saw that they had 12 truancy officers For the 90 charter schools in New Orleans. Now, I'm not sure about the rest of the schools, but 12, if you can't inspect what you expect, there will be no results. And that's a big part of it, that we see see a big part of it here. The truancy rate in in Louisiana is 45 percent. In Mississippi, Mm it's 24 percent. And we have made some changes over the past five years in regards to our attendance policy. And I think it makes it more manageable, and that's one of the things that has to be manageable. You can't have 12 days. The, the NOVA policy allows you to have 12 days before you – they say five. They check after five but the more I read, the more I realized that this is not happening. So you get 12 CASCO freebies, no note, no parent note. An unexcused absence is does not have a parent note, my child had a sore throat, or a doctor's note. They're without explanation. So in New Orleans, they get 12 of these freebies and you realize how big of a part of a 9 week period that is for mm-hmm. high school students earning credits who are taking a quarterly class they will not get that credit and and that's where you where you were talking about the graduation rate this definitely affects the graduation rate and Shay O'Connor was reporting that they're seeing it earlier and earlier kindergarten first second and third grade we are too in my years as an administrator we saw it earlier and earlier and then it becomes a habit and then the child gets so far behind if they would put me in a a french class right now i would be lost and not know what to do it's the same thing for a child who has not learned to read who does not know multiplication and doesn't have the social skills to know how to get the help
2: Let me me interrupt you right there, Kelly. I want to ask one question about catching up. Is the school system actually designed to really catch up students once they've fallen behind like that because of unexcused absences?
5: I would say all schools have a plan. The the willingness of the participant is the biggest factor in that. Um, I know that we have seat time. If you miss too many days, you do have to come to the school, sit at the computer, do your work. At least this is how it was when I was there. So there is a plan for catching students up. And not only that, we we have people who go into people's homes. If we find out there's something that for some reason a child cannot come to school, but it's still truancy because the parent is not making the child come to school. Because after a while, they just don't feel like they belong. And it it really is going to take a reasonable number of unexcused days. What we did here is broke it down into four per semester, four unexcused. So that's a whole lot more manageable than waiting for a child to accumulate twelve. And so once the floor rolls over, it triggers a call to the truancy officer. And the truancy officer will usually visit the parent. And sometimes they're not very receptive. And sometimes we take a sheriff's officer with us because we don't know what to expect. So suggestions would be, Take that twelve and reduce it. But you have to have enough follow through, enough personnel, enough funding to be able to inspect what you expect and then follow through with the plan that you have. Because a lot of what the research that I have done, it ends when you can't get a parent to be compliant go and and it starts right there in kindergarten it having enough resources is is a big deal follow through with assistance or consequences is a big deal mandatory parental student support and training and we did have nami courses that were free National American Mental Health Institute um, that we provided in our district and it was free. We could not get parents to come. I think the biggest turnaround in lowering our truancy rate has been the change in just allowing them to have 12 blanket missed days. And breaking it down and keeping up with it more. I think you also have to have options for those who are so far behind that they're not going to make it. I know we have Job Corps in Gulfport on a smaller scale. We have Camp Shelby in Mississippi. You know, can we get them to go to that? Sometimes not. But When we're talking about the school and how we can fix the problem there, changes need to be made at the school board level, but they need to be able to have the resources to follow through on that.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, and and that's why I wanted to have you back, because your truancy rate in Mississippi is about just not, not quite half of what it is here in louisiana uh and that that doesn't just happen right you you got to make things happen and that's what you're talking about having the resources the follow through the follow-up um you got to be intrusive um and and as you said you cannot wait till 12 absences to go get intrusive uh, because when they're missing that much school uh it doesn't work and and I know that you, and you said that, you, you know, there was a plan, but that takes a lot of resources to go catch kids up. And it, it's just not fair to the system, you know, and these parents need to be held accountable at some level. I'm not saying throwing them in jail or anything like that, but there, need, there needs to be a wake-up call that this is not acceptable. You know, this is not going to happen because there is no – Not a single positive outcome for these kids that are truant. And the sooner that we come to that realization, I think the better we'll all be, right?
5: And, yes, the better the children will be because it is our job as educators and members of the community to make sure they get an education. I am not opposed to putting parents in jail for truancy. At a certain level, when the child is dependent on the parent, to get mm-hmm. them up and get them to school, and we have done that before, where the parents have to serve weekend jail time. Really? And yes, yes, we have, and it works. It's around. And I'm sorry if you have to work at Walmart on Saturday and Sunday. Send your child to school. Yes. Send your child to school. I'm not opposed to that one yet, because yeah, you had you, have you to, had
2: the child. You have an obligation right? It's, you're not, right. The, these children are not intended to be wards of the state, right? I mean.
5: No. Youth court does get involved, but youth court is so overwhelmed that w- where do they put these children? And until they get to be, I would say of driving age, the parent is responsible for getting them up and getting them to school. And then I believe it needs to be on the child. And that's, how we've handled things in our district before but parents i don't have a problem being intrusive and i'm so glad you said that because it's it's in the best interest of everybody involved because our prisons are just becoming more full of illiterate people because somebody didn't want to take a stand and be intrusive
2: it's so true so let me ask you this our truancy rate in Louisiana is forty-five percent. Before the pandemic, it was thirty-six percent because it, so it wasn't stellar then either. So it wouldn't surprise you that our dropout rate is nine point six percent, the second highest in the U.S. Doesn't surprise you at all, does it?
5: It it does not surprise me, and and dropout rate is is something else that harms the school, schools are punished, penalized for a low dropout rate. And what happens if you have a child in one high school who is not attending school, getting in trouble, getting kicked out, and they go register at another school, they come from school A to school B, because there was a transfer, from school A to school B, B, that child is not a dropout for school A. That child now becomes a dropout for school B, and it's it's not fair that that's even allowed to happen. And we have to be as educators, and and watch that because it happens so much, and the dropout rate is calculated by the ninth grade co- cohort. So when they transfer from eighth grade or into the ninth grade, even if they're sixteen, that's going to count as a dropout for the school who has enrolled that child.
2: Yeah, do you? Is it, this is not rocket science, right? For schools to report if there's like a truancy assessment center type thing that you know. Uh, Billy and Billy Joe and Joanne and Steve and this one and that one, they're absent today. Um, You know, somebody needs to call and find out what's going on. Um, You know, if if you have a coordinated effort of a number of people, how how difficult can that be? I mean, we did something. I was the sheriff in Jefferson Parish, and we participated, you know, in a program that that's what we did. And they summon parents in after a certain number of absences and say, hey, what's the skinny here? What's going on? This can't happen. This is not, we're not going to tolerate this. You know, you, you need to tell us, articulate what is the problem, what what's your plan to remediate it. Uh, or are we going to have to take measures? If you want us to right. take measures, we're happy to take measures. But right. that's not what we really want to do. We really believe that you're the one that needs to resolve this issue it's not rocket science is it
5: no and we've always given the parents the opportunity with our support to correct the situation and then if they don't correct the situation then we do what we have to do to try to protect that child because as a parent and as an educator my job as a parent to is to make sure my child gets the best education possible, that they are in school. It is an expectation. But it's, we're losing that expectation. And that's why I say this is becoming an acceptable social dilemma. Mm-hmm. And if you yeah. look, it's familial. It's in families. It's in groups of people who move together from one place to another. And the expectation is not to go to school.
2: Did it's you get okay. weary? Did you grow weary of the excuses? Because I'm, I'm, I'm weary of the excuses.
5: Very. Very.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I'm tired of hearing it. You have children. When you have children, you have obligations, and you have to be held accountable. And we're not going to buy our way out of this problem. Right. I
5: mean, and like I said, I, I think making it manageable, number one, is the beginning to hopefully reducing that truancy rate. But accountability and resources have to be there. But going back to what you said about the excuses and the reasons, my skin got very tough and I just called it like I saw it. It, I really felt like I was an officer of the courts more than a school official because it is such a big problem. And I found that most people do want help. They do want help. But if you get the child to an age where the child has, it's been acceptable for the child to not come to school, to not do their homework, to not make up seat time, to not do any of that. Then is you're fighting a losing battle. So we have to reach them at a much earlier age.
2: Absolutely, Uh, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been a difference maker most of your life, all of your life, and you're still a difference maker today in that retirement category. I'm jealous. I wish I was.
5: (laughs) (laughs) One day, no, I love your show. Don't retire.
2: One day. But thank you so much for joining us. So great to meet you, um and, and sharing your experience with us. Kelly Schwartz, retired educator from Mississippi. Have a great holiday season, Kelly.
5: Thank you, Neil. Thank you for what you do.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: You know, if we fought as hard to go back to school as we fought to not go to school during the pandemic, it it would be incredible to see what the outcome is. This this stat will rock your world. In the 2021-2022 school year, the first full year after the pandemic, 66% of enrolled students... attended a school with high or extreme levels of chronic absences. That means at least one of five students in their school was missing four weeks of school throughout the school year. These high levels of chronic absences are untenable. We can't continue to have this. We've got to be able to turn the tide. This requires a shock and awe response. So when I read stuff like the mayor's program of giving away money to young adults and young kids and some who are not enrolled in school, (laughs) why are we doing this? Why don't we take the $2 million in cash payments that she wants to make? and set up a truancy program because the downstream implications of us getting more intrusive is going to be a much more positive thing than universal basic income for a small number of folks that just get used to somebody else paying their bills. Let's make them do something for the money. You're in school. We'll make payments. You're not in school? We're not doing it if you want to run this program. This is crazy what we're doing. We're upside down. Do you think all of this sounds like this culture of noncompliance that I've been talking about? People think I'm crazy. It starts small. It gets bigger. It's a medium-sized problem. And then before you know it, it's permeated every part of our life. And everybody's looking to the government and looking to taxpayers to finance all of this that's going on. There needs to be a stream of accountability that runs through all of this. And as Kelly pointed out, a social dilemma, yeah, huge. I don't know about you. I don't want to finance it. Then you add to it what's going on at the southern border. And the pressures that are being put on our school systems because they don't speak our language so now we're having to educate kids to learn to speak English absorbing more of our resources and we've got less to handle this and we wonder why the incarceration rate is what it is in this country Right. We wonder why 82 percent of prisoners in this country are high school dropouts. Seventy percent of incarcerated adults can't read at the fourth grade level. Need I say any more to connect these dots? We'll be right back. Folks, when we come back, we'll visit with Matthew Dennis, founder and director of enforcement, asaprelease.org program it's all about ankle monitors and what they do we'll talk about other ways to utilize this technology we'll be right back stay with us okay
0: picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road